In our Bibles to Matthew chapter 9. Dave, why don't you go ahead and give me a handheld mic? We may have a very short service tonight. We'll see how long my voice holds out. We'll start reading at verse 1. And it came to pass that when Jesus had finished these sayings, he departed from Galilee. And he came into the coast of Judea beyond Jordan. And great multitudes followed him, and he healed them there. The Pharisees also came unto him, tempting him, and saying unto him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? He answered and said unto them, Have ye not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? And he said for this, How shall a man leave father and mother, shall cleave to his wife? And they twain shall be one flesh. I want you to get tonight that phrase. They shall be one flesh. Wherefore they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let no man put asunder. Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight. That your word, Father, for us today is just as applicable as it was when these men wrote it several thousand years ago. Father, we know you have something for us to learn. Father, we thank you that in this subject of marriage that you wrote so much for our good, you gave us the very foundation that will help produce a biblical home, a spiritual pattern Father, help us to not only learn what your word says, but then to put it in practice. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I want you to look at just a few simple thoughts before we get to the main thought tonight. We talk about a biblical mindset concerning marriage. And how many of you tonight want to have God's mind? You want to share God's mind when it comes to marriage. You don't want to share this earth's mindset, this world's mindset, because you know the result. You've seen the result. Divorce, marriages that last months, years, and those that stay together, hate each other. That's not what God has in mind for Christians. Amen? That's not what God had in mind concerning marriage. But look at the first thing he says. A man shall leave father and mother. Now, this is step one. And let me say this, young people. If you're not willing to leave mom and daddy, you're not ready to get married. Mom, the best thing you can do is back up, back off, and understand your job is to help those children become independent. At some point, you want them to be independent, amen? Now, don't get in a rush. There's nothing more dangerous than having children get married young. And, you know, children tend to mature more slowly for some reason in this generation than in previous generations. But don't be in a hurry to push kids into marriage. Young people, you need to understand, take your time because ultimately this thing is for life. You can't afford to make a mistake. Parents... You need to help them in their choices because they can't afford to marry wrong. 
that's one mistake they'll never recover from. So a short courtship, unless you're 56, is never a bright idea. You want to take time and get to know that person. And when you step into marriage, you never know that person like you think you know them. But you're supposed to leave father and mother. And there are a lot of women that have created headaches in their marriage simply because they couldn't deal with the very first principle of marriage. You're supposed to leave father and mother. And mother, that means you're supposed to leave them also. Let them live their lives. Stop trying to raise their children. You're not their psychologist. You're not their psychiatrist. You're not their counselor. And most of what you do to try to help will actually create more problems than answers. So the first principle is to leave father and mother and cleave to his wife. Now, man, you are supposed to cleave to her. Most men have a hard time with this principle because they're busy cleaving to hobbies and sports and golf. I've seen men cleave to bowling more than to their own wife. Tell me that makes sense. Cleave to a professional football team more than they cleave to their own wife. That'll destroy marriage very quickly. But you're supposed to leave father and mother, cleave to his wife. Now, here's a principle I want you to think about for just a few minutes. They twain shall be one flesh. Now, when we talk about one flesh, we're talking about two levels, a physical level and a friendship level. Now, neither one of these is more important than the other. I'm surprised at how many marriages, for some reason, the friendship almost stopped at the day of the wedding. That's not the way it's supposed to be. I enjoy seeing couples like Andrew and Kira. How many ever stumbled across Andrew and Kira downtown or at a restaurant or outside the church setting? We were in a restaurant one time and sat across the restaurant and noticed Andrew and Kira seated the whole time. Now, this is long after marriage. Talking endlessly. How many of you have seen Andrew talk endlessly with anyone? <laughs> or Kira either for that matter. But there they were. And we just sat and laughed. And I said, that's a shame that that's usually not the case. Marriage is often the end of the friendship. But that friendship should be growing. And instead of learning how to cultivate a relationship or even maintain a conversation, those two people begin to live two very separate lives and establish two sets of friends, two sets of hobbies, uh, two sets of pastimes, just two separate lives. That's not what God intended. Matter of fact, when God gave Adam his wife Eve, what's the Bible say? In Genesis 2.18, he said, it's not good that man should be alone. I want to make for him a helpmeet. And there was Adam on this planet 
with no other living, breathing human. And the animals all walk by and he gives them all a name and then it dawns on Adam. I don't even have anyone here that I can communicate with. This is going to be interesting. And God said, we can easily fix that problem, Adam. I'm going to give to you, not a friend, not a boss, not a co-worker, not a golf buddy. I'm going to give you a help mate. Now, that was God's idea. And it was a good idea. It was a fantastic idea. Now, here's what God intended. When he put those two together, now, there was a friendship, a level of friendship, and there was a physical level. And let me just say this. There are always problems in marriage if the physical relationship stops, everything else is going to go to neutral. God intended for you to be one flesh. Now, when Christ made this statement, he was ending the conversation right here. Now, they asked another question, but he said, this is so clear, this is so direct, this is so simple, this is so plain. It should end any other questions that you might have when it comes to marriage and divorce. Now, let me ask you this, because people have tried to use this passage to say that God was for the idea of divorce. Is God ever for the idea of divorce? Was that ever God's intention? No. Now, because he has a second question, he comes back and says, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, he suffered. That's the verb used. He didn't command because that's the verb that they use when they ask Christ the question. Didn't Moses command? And Christ said, no, Moses didn't command anything. Moses, because of the, what, hardness of your hearts, suffered you. But from the beginning, it wasn't so. That was never God's intention. God's intention was two people to get married and live in love for a lifetime. Now, here's a problem, and I'm going to skirt around the subject because that's not the main topic tonight. But really, we've allowed TV over the past few decades to warp our thinking. And we have this romantic philosophy about love that now we equate an emotion with biblical love. People talk about falling in love. Let me ask you this. How many of you remember falling in love? Do you remember that feeling? It's just life was different when you were with that person. Matter of fact, the days kind of went a little quicker. That time spent together, those dates didn't last long enough, right? You wish those two or three hours could have been five or six or eight or ten hours, but your palms felt a little sweaty and you you giggled when you normally didn't giggle. You just seemed to have a permanent smile on your face. You blushed when you weren't normally a person that would blush. Now, you know what all of that is? It's called a feeling. 
And because you had never felt like that before, you thought this is true love. It's called arousal. So here's what happened. Because you equated that with love, you thought as long as I'm in love, I'm going to have that feeling. The only problem with feelings are they're fleeting. There's no feeling that lasts forever. So you got married with this feeling. And for the most part, while you were dating or courting, that feeling was ever present. Right? And then at some point in the journey, maybe it was when the laundry was not inside the basket. Or for the fifth night in a row, he showed up late. And the dinner was already cold, and he didn't even send a text. He didn't make a phone call. He didn't give a reason. He didn't even kiss you when he walked in the door. His only question was, what's to eat? At some point, that feeling dissipated, and you were no longer in love. Well, at least you no longer had the feeling of love. You know the bottom line about love? Love is not a feeling. You weren't in love. You were infatuated. You were aroused. You were emotionally excited. But you made a choice, and love is a choice. How many of you have ever read 1 Corinthians 13? What in there did you fall into? <laughs> Give me a Bible. 1 Corinthians 13. Tell me what in this chapter you just fell into. Let's see. 13 verse 4, charity suffereth long. You just fell into suffering long, right? You fell into kindness. I mean, you just stumped right over it and you just, every day you just fall into kindness. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself. It's not puffed up. It doesn't behave itself unseemly. Seeketh not her own. It's not easily provoked. Yeah, you just fall right into that too, right? Thinketh no evil. Verse 7, beareth all things. We have a misconception about love. You choose to do those things. How many of you have ever read anything about days gone by, different cultures, even to some degree in early American culture? How many people actually chose their own mate? People live happily together, and they did not even know each other till the day of their wedding. But you went out, eyes wide open. You searched high and low and said, nope, 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 nope. <laughs> yes, Aruni. And you begin to pursue, and all although others may have tried to persuade you to go a different direction, you were determined. You'd made a good choice. You made that choice. There's only one problem. You made a choice based on emotions and feelings, which really doesn't matter because the choice is made. God said that's a permanent choice. Now you get to make another choice, a biblical choice. That's to love. They're not good marriages because those people have been able to maintain that feeling for 20 years. If someone tells you that, they're lying. 
that feeling just doesn't last for 20 years. It usually doesn't last 20 months. For some, it didn't last 20 minutes. <laughs> but in any case, the length of time that feeling lasts is a non-issue because ultimately, when you say, I do, you're saying, I didn't fall in love with you. I choose to love you today, tomorrow, next year, and every year until God takes us off this planet. That's a daily choice. Now, one principle tonight, all I need you to get is one principle. God answered this question by telling them, this man will leave father and mother, cleave to his wife, and they shall be one flesh. One flesh. And what God had joined together, let no man put us under. Now, let me ask you this. If you were going to cross-reference, what would be the immediate text that comes to your mind when you hear the term one flesh? Christ in the church, Ephesians 5. Let's go there for just a minute. <coughs> Young people, if you don't go in the marriage with this mindset, your marriage is already in trouble because this is God's mindset. Look what God says. In order to know the mind of God, let's read the word of God, Ephesians 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle, verse 28. Now look at verses 28 through 33 and what it reiterates in Scripture. So I meant to love their wives as what? Their own bodies. Why? Because when you got married, you became one flesh. So when you despise that woman, you are despising your own self because now you are one flesh. When you are speaking evil of that woman, you are speaking evil of yourself because you are one flesh. Here's what we don't understand. When God gave these commands, he gave us the reason why. So when he said, love your wives, here's why. Is Christ loved the church because you are one flesh. Just as we are one now with Christ, we're one body. Now, let me ask you something. How many understand when you got saved through the Spirit of God, you became a member of the body of Christ? How many understand that? Can that change? Under any circumstance. Now, when he gives us the command to love our wives as he loves the church, you say, well, she's changed. Hold on for a second. Who's our example? Christ with the church. When did Christ purchase the church? 2,000 years ago. 
He purchased with his own blood. When he shed his blood, he was purchasing his bride, the church. We are one with him. Will that ever change? Now, let me ask you what you have done to be faithful to him. What the church has done. Should we examine the church? The church has never been in worse condition. The church now looks more like the world than it does like Christ. Lives more dedicated to the world than it does to Christ. They claim the name Christian. But they walk like the world. They talk like the world. They think like the world. They smell like the world. They know nothing about the reality of Christ or God's presence. They enjoy the pleasures of the world much more than time spent with God. Go take a look at churches today. Just walk into the services. Take a look at their worship. Take a look at their leadership. Take a look at Christianity in general. Now let me ask you this. When did Christ disassociate with any one of his children that are part of his body. When did Christ stop loving? Saying, no, you know what? There are members that have fornicated. There are those in leadership that have committed adultery. There has been theft, disregard, for a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. The world's music brought into our congregations. And at what point has Christ said, I've had enough. I'm going to write a bill of divorcement. I'm sick. I'm done. I'm through. When did he ever become so disappointed? When did he ever say, you know what? They're just not satisfying my needs enough. Because they don't make me happy. Because they don't please me like I want pleased. Because they don't satisfy me like I need satisfied. Because they don't meet the needs that I demand to be met. I'm going to disassociate myself with them. Has Christ done that or would he do that? We are to love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. That's the Bible command. Now, I've been counseling people for 20 years. Surprisingly, I've had dozens of people tell me at some point, Pastor, I want a divorce. Now, let me ask you this. Do you think a pastor can live in a ministry without hearing those words? Now, if we're honest, you've probably thought that. Now, let me ask you this. We don't truly understand what the Bible says about marriage because God says that's impossible. You are one flesh. Now, if, Ernest and Denise, you come help me for just a minute. If, when these two got married, they stood before God 
they didn't make a vow just to each other, but they made a vow to God. That was for better or worse. You say, preacher, well, he's made me mad. That's why you made a vow for better or worse. This is worse. This is sickness. This is poverty. You're dealing with it. Deal with it. But you made that commitment, not just to her, not just to others around you, but to God. And God expects you to keep that promise. Now, it would be easy if we look at these two as two separate entities. That's not the way God sees them. When we see Ernest and Denise, we see a man and a woman. When God sees Ernest and Denise, you know what he sees? One. So, if she were to say, I'm done, if Ernest were to say, I'm done, separation is the way to go, God says, okay, it's not that simple. Where do we start? Because God says, you're what? One body. God says, where do you want me to start cutting? Now, what is it that separates one flesh? What is the saw that cuts one flesh in two? And let me say this. There are some of you in here, and tonight, we're not dealing with those of you that have been divorced. But those of you that have been divorced most likely share this philosophy with your preacher even more so than those that haven't been divorced because you know the effects. You felt the pain. That's one flesh being separated. Now, what is the saw that separates these two? Now, remember once again, these are not two separate entities. This is one body now. You know what that saw is that cuts these in two? Lack of forgiveness. And you know how it cuts? Slowly. Tell me how that feels, that first yank. And then the next. And every day with an unforgiving heart is another slash, another cut. But ultimately, you're cutting asunder. Now, let me ask you this. God says, I look at marriage and these two as one flesh and one body. The same way I look at my son and the church, they're inseparable. And he said... If anybody deserves to try to separate from his bride, it would be the Lord Jesus Christ. But he made that decision final when on the cross he said, Father, forgive them. I won't let any injustice allow us to be put asunder. Now, here's what frustration in a marriage does. Here's what the lack of forgiveness in a marriage does. It puts that saw at the neck of that one body. Coldly. In a very calculated manner. Listen, you don't just sow that. You say, what if I started cutting and changed my mind halfway through? You just made the healing process extremely difficult. Because God says, you're not two. When you made that vow, you came together. You made that commitment before God. You became what? One flesh. Now look what it says. 
in Ephesians 5. Let's finish reading because God is trying to highlight this thought in our hearts and minds. So men ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth. Do you see how God is so clear? How many understand? Chris, it's a good thing to love Amy because in loving Amy, you're actually loving yourself. In hurting Amy, you're hurting yourself. In refusing to forgive Amy, you're only causing pain to yourself. I, I know most of you have heard the definition of unforgiveness, but we've heard repeatedly that it's like drinking poison and hoping that it kills someone else. That's brilliant. I'm going to poison you. And in a marriage, people fail to understand when you made that commitment, that covenant before God, you became one flesh. So what you do to her, you're actually doing to yourself. And your real problem is not with your mate anyways. Your real problem ultimately is with God. Because God says, just as you became one with her, we are one in Christ. So if you dislike her, you dislike me because we're one body. So what's the hand going to say? I hate the toe. I love you. I just hate your toe. I'm do something to it. I can't forgive it. I'm going to have to do something to separate it. That's not brilliant. That's part of you. And here's what, here's what Christ reiterates. Look at the rest of this chapter and we'll be done. Here's what Christ is reiterating, a very basic truth. Verse 29, no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth it and cherisheth it, even as the Lord, the church. I want you to think about how you nourish and cherish yourself. Very particular about the clothes you wear. You want the right material and the right size and the right feel and the right look. Your shoes can't be a half a size too big or a half a size too small. If it's a little bit nippy, you've got to have a coat. You're going to adjust the AC, make sure the heater's set just right. Even in your vehicle, you only have 15 minutes to work. But you want to make sure you're just nice and cozy. You don't want the music up too loud or too soft. You bought three pillows just to make sure you have the right firmness. Your sheet has to be... 600 count, just so you feel comfortable. What did you eat today? Yeah, you're cherishing your body. And dare someone feed you something you don't like because you are highly important to you. Right? And God says the same way that you nourish and cherish you, you're supposed to nourish and cherish your wife. Verse 29, for no man ever hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. 
We are members of his body, of his flesh, of his bones. Do you see what God's trying to say? God says, get the idea. We are one, and if you don't have that concept, marriage won't work. Where are so many marriages failing today? How many get married with this understanding? What are people saying? If it works, great. If it doesn't work, not a problem. I'll find a better you. Instead of saying, no, as soon as we say these vows, we become one flesh. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother shall be joined unto his wife. They shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery. I speak concerning Christ in the church. Never let, nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself. How many more times and how many more ways can God say it to make it clear? God says, you became one. That was your choice. Now, what do we do? Choose love. Amazing to think how many people I've talked to over the years and no one ever, ever expects me to say, reconcile. You know, they want me to side with, nah, yeah, I would. I'd kill him. Well, really, I only have one choice, and that's to say the same thing. Reconcile. Well, you know, if you lived with him, if you lived with her, thank God that wasn't my choice. I'm pretty happy with my choice, amen? But in the end, you made your choice. Now your choice is singular. Choose love. You have a Holy Spirit. Now, the, the previous chapter goes through everything, verses 22 through 24. talks about growing and maturing spiritually so you're capable of loving. Verse 31 talks about putting away bitterness and wrath so you're capable of loving. Verse 32 speaks of forgiving, right? So the previous chapter talks about how to make it. Now, let me just say this and we'll be done. There are several ways to tear apart a marriage. Ernest. You ready for this, brother? How many times have you been in an illustration and a message? Not very many. This is your last. This is a tool that puts marriages asunder, divides that body in two. Satan's favorite tool. You know what it's called? Bitterness. Number one tool. This is the one that quickly rips apart one flesh. And what Satan will get you to do is to harbor hard feelings, unforgiveness, frustration, and allow that to build and build and build. And there's Satan telling you, I got the solution. I got the solution to your problems. The only problem is, Ernest, that solution rips you in two because you're one flesh. 
It's not like you're cutting. Some of you think you're cutting handcuffs to free yourself. No. That blade will rip through a body because now you're one body, you're one flesh. Listen, there's no divorced person that's a second-rate citizen in the kingdom of God. You understand that, right? I'm telling you, as a child of God, you know the truth. You understand I made a solemn vow. The only way you can make progress in your marriage, and here's where I feel, thank you, Ernest, here's where I feel comfortable in my marriage because we've had problems, we've had disagreements, we've had a headache here and there, but it was pre-established a long, long time ago that our marriage was till death to his part, which is a great motivational factor. Because if we're stuck together till death, I don't want it to be a miserable 40 years. I want there to be a lot more good days than bad days. I want there to be a lot more good times than bad times. Which means I better be highly motivated to find a way to create solutions and less headaches and less problems because we made a solemn vow to God. And your vows were no different than my vows. You know that. You understand it. And when you, listen, when you have that philosophy, here's, there's a security in marriage where you both know, hell or high water, we know tomorrow we'll still be together. We can get through this. And let me say to every marriage here, how many of you have been married for at least 30 years? Raise your hand. How many of you remember some of the problems of early marriage and thinking, are we going to make it? How many remember that? Raise your hand just so they see. How many of you are glad that you held on? If you understand the most basic philosophy, which Christ was trying to reiterate, and with this question, they wanted him to fall into trap. And he said, very simply stated, let me tell you the answer to any marital question. Leave father and mother. Cleave to that woman. And you are now one flesh what God had joined together can only be torn, ripped apart, and you are literally ripping apart one flesh.